The Old Testament reading is Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And then let's turn to our New Testament reading, which is Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. And this is our sermon passage uh, this morning. And I chose that Old Testament verse because in this passage from Romans, we'll hear that the Apostle Paul uh, desired to have that iron sharpening iron uh, fellowship uh, with his brothers and sisters in Christ uh, in the churches in Rome. So let's hear from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. This is chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. And this, this also is the word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We all struggle with the frustration of not being able to do all that we desire to do. Um, Have you ever wished that you had a few extra hours in the day or a few extra days in the week? I think we all have. Uh, So often we are kept from doing what we would like to do or perhaps have even planned to do uh, simply because of the limitations of time or resources or because of the circumstances that are imposed upon us by the providence of God. The Apostle Paul was not immune to that same experience. Despite the uh, extraordinary ministry that he had and all that he accomplished uh, throughout his ministry, uh, Paul also struggled with not being able to do everything that he desired to do in fulfilling his ministry as Christ's apostle. Uh, He too, like us, he was limited by time. He was subject to the various circumstances that arise in the providence of God that prevented him from uh, doing what his heart desired. And in this passage this morning, we learned that for some time, one thing that Paul desired to do but was not able to do was to visit uh, the Christians in Rome uh, for some reason, uh, although he had often intended to go there. Uh, he was frustrated in that purpose. He doesn't, exactly, he doesn't say exactly why in this particular passage. Uh, we do know one reason, at least, that uh, there were other pressing uh, ministry opportunities that presented themselves that he felt bound to fulfill. Uh, later in Romans, he tells us how uh, there were areas, uh, unreached areas, where the gospel had not been preached 
And so he felt a necessity uh, to do that, and that kept him from uh, going to Rome. Uh, perhaps there were other reasons as well. Uh, we read in the book of Acts that there were uh, occasions when the Holy Spirit directly intervened uh, to prevent uh, Paul uh, to go someplace where he had planned to go, uh, or perhaps more uh, ordinarily, uh, in the providence of God, circumstances uh, intruded themselves so that Paul could not go to Rome. But in any case, uh, Paul explains here in these uh, verses, which is kind of an introduction after the greetings. These are kind of an introduction to the rest of the letter of Romans. But he explains here in these verses that his failure to visit his uh, fellow believers in Rome had nothing to do with a lack of desire on his part or a lack of even planning on his parts. But as he explains this to the Romans, we learn something of the character of the apostle. Uh, we haven't gotten yet to the place in Romans where Paul begins to unpack uh, the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his, his doctrinal instruction. We're, we're not quite there yet. Uh, we'll be there soon. So this is more introductory material. But in these verses, we do see something that is very helpful for us to see, and that is what kind of man was the Apostle Paul? What was his character? What was he like as a man, as an apostle, as a minister of the gospel? And there are several lessons that we can learn from this. Uh, the first is this, and that is the Apostle Paul, he delighted in the salvation of sinners. He delighted to see People come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Among all the Christians who lived in the various parts of uh, the known world at that time, uh, the faith of the Romans was proclaimed, it was announced. And it was not just proclaimed, but it was celebrated. It was rejoiced in. And that's not because there was something extraordinary about the faith of the Christians in Rome, that their faith was somehow unique or different from the faith of other believers, but it was because of where they were located. Rome was the imperial capital of the Roman Empire. It was the seat of the power of the empire. It was the most important city in all the world, and you can almost hear Christians in other parts of the empire uh, saying to themselves excitedly, did you hear that there are believers in Rome, that there are Christians uh, in the capital city, that, that Jesus is doing a work here in the heart of the empire? And so their faith was proclaimed throughout the world, and in the same way. As Christians, we rejoice uh, when we hear about the Lord doing a work of salvation and building his church in the most unlikeliest places in the world. Uh, we hear about how many Muslim refugees in uh, the countries of Europe are coming to faith in Christ, or how the church in China continues to thrive and to expand despite the persecution that they increasingly suffer. Uh, we hear how the church in Iran of all places, has exploded in recent years uh, with growth because of the, the, the power of God's Spirit. And it's a tremendous encouragement when we hear these things because it means that 
Christ is still very much at work in the world. He is still working to fulfill what he told the disciples that he will build his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we can take hearts that no matter how bad things seem to get in the world, no matter how discouraged we may be about reading what's happening in our country or in the world, what a joy it is to know that God has his people almost everywhere and that God is adding to his church. And that was the kind of excitement, the joy that Christians throughout the world felt when they heard about the faith of the Christians in Rome, that God was doing a work there too. And Paul shared in that joy. He delighted to hear that the gospel was bearing fruit in Rome. He says in verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul gave thanks to God for these believers. Now, a pastor today, he may be tempted to look out over his large and growing congregation. He may be tempted to say something like, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because you make me look so good. Because you are proof of the success of my ministry, of the greatness of my gifts, of the excellence of my preaching. I hope that no pastor would ever actually say that, but I'm sure that pastors are tempted to say or to think something like that when they are blessed with a growing church. But Paul gives thanks to God for all the believers in Rome, not because in any way it made him look good, but because of their faith, because of their faith. He rejoiced that they were believers. He knows that it wasn't so long ago that these very same people, that these were Gentile sinners who were hopelessly enmeshed in their ignorance and their idolatry. He knows that by the power and the grace of God through the preaching of the gospel, that these Roman Christians were those who had been rescued from sin and death, that these were now new creatures in Christ. These were true worshipers of the living God, that these were the saints of God. And that is what filled the heart of Paul with such gratitude and joy. That these people had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus taught us that there is joy in heaven. That heaven rejoices in the repentance of one sinner. And the very thing that, caused, that causes heaven to rejoice was what also thrilled the heart of the Apostle Paul. Like the angels of heaven, like even the Lord himself, he delighted, he rejoiced in the salvation of sinners. And it wasn't out of any kind of self-interest. It was only because he delighted in knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ was being embraced by others for their redemption. And that leads us to question our own hearts. What is it that causes you to rejoice? What does your heart thrill at? What fills you with gratitude towards God? Now, there may, be, there may be many things that cause you to rejoice and to be filled with thanksgiving to God, but do you give thanks to God for the work of his salvation? Are you delighted to know that Christ is bringing many to himself? And not just your own salvation, but do you delight in the salvation of others? If heaven itself rejoices in the repentance of one sinner, then the people of God here on earth, we, we must also rejoice, take delight in, and love the fact that Christ 
is building his church and bringing others to salvation. That's where Paul's heart was at. So first, the apostle delighted in the salvation of others. Secondly, the apostle served the Lord from the heart. He says in verses 9 and 10, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. So when Paul says in verse 9 that he speaks of serving God with his spirit in the gospel of his Son, what this means is that all the service that the Apostle Paul rendered to Christ as a minister of the gospel, as his servant, it was all from the heart. It came from within, with his spirit he served. In other words, Paul, as a minister of the gospel, uh, his calling, this was not just a job that he would perform in some external fashion while his heart was disengaged from the work that he was doing. When I was in my mid-20s, uh, for a while, I worked in a kind of a factory that uh, assembled golf bags. And so for six hours a day or so, usually evening uh, shift, I was uh, making golf bags. And about the, only, about the only good thing about that job was that I got an employee discount on a golf bag. So that was the one redeeming uh, value of it. And this was in the days when companies still used time clocks. And so at the beginning and the end, at the end of our shift, uh, we would take our time card and we would uh, punch it in the time clock to show how many hours uh, we had worked that day. And somehow uh, we knew that the company, when they calculated how many hours that we worked, uh, they would round up or round down to the nearest 15 minutes. And so at the end of our shift, uh, we employees, we would all stand around the, the time clock waiting for the minute hand to, to reach seven minutes before the hour. And then we would clock out because that way we would get that full hour and not just 45 minutes of pay. But that was the mindset that we had because for us, it was just a job. It was just a job. We weren't consumed with some kind of passion uh, to make golf bags. And so every night we put in our six hours or so, minus seven minutes, of course, and we got paid for it. Now, let me say, first of all, that I am not in any way saying that there is anything wrong with working a job like that or having a job like that. It is a good thing. It is a God-honoring thing to do honest labor, no matter how unglamorous it may seem, and to get paid for it. So that's not the point that I'm making. But the point that I'm making is this, that that is not how the Apostle Paul approached his work as an apostle. He didn't clock out at the end of the day. But he says in verse 1, in chapter 1, that he was called to be an apostle. He was set apart for the gospel of God. And so his service as an apostle, it demanded all the energy, all the strength, everything that he could muster from within, all of his resources, all of his attention. He was devoted his entire life to serving Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's what he means when he says, I serve God with my spirit. He served from the heart. And later in this passage, Paul speaks uh, more about this divine calling that Christ had given him uh, to be an apostle, particularly to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, look at verses 14 and 15. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. 
I've always wondered if anybody in Rome who first read this letter took it the wrong way, because right after Paul says, I, I am under obligation to preach to the foolish, he says, so I'm eager to preach to you also in her, who are in Rome. Hopefully they didn't take it that way. But the point that Paul is making here is that he had a call. He, he was under divine obligation to preach the gospel to all people in all the nations of the world, or at least all kinds of people in all the nations of the world. The barbarians that he mentions, uh, these are those uh, Gentiles who did not embrace Greek culture. They did not speak the Greek language. Uh, the wise were the educated. The unwise were the uneducated. And as, a, uh, as an apostle to the Gentiles, it was Paul's calling to preach the gospel of Christ to every sort of person, to the culture, to the uncultured, to the wise, to the foolish, and everyone in between. And I believe that the most effective preachers have been those who, like the Apostle Paul, are able and have been able to effectively communicate the Word of God to all sorts of people, to all classes of people. Uh, I think of the great evangelist, George Whitfield. Uh, he could literally bring uh, thousands of uneducated coal miners uh, to tears as he preached the gospel to them, but he also had an ongoing ministry to some of the aristocracy of England. He could reach all kinds of people. And the reason why Paul was called and why gospel ministers are called to preach the gospel to all kinds of people is because the gospel is for all kinds of people. There is only one Savior. God has given us only one Savior, and that is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And there is only one way of salvation for the rich, for the poor, for the wise, for the foolish. No matter your background, no matter your uh, social standing, there is only one way of salvation. And that is by coming to the Son of God by faith, coming to Christ, repenting of your sin and entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ for your salvation. And so the gospel is for the wise, for the foolish, for the rich, for the poor, for everyone in between. Dr. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he told a story of uh, preaching one Sunday evening at the University of Oxford. And after the service was over, a student uh, stood up to ask Dr. Lloyd-Jones a question. And uh, he was a law student, so uh, very uh, intelligent. His, his appearance, his manner of speaking was very polished. Uh, obviously someone from the upper echelons of society. And he told Lloyd-Jones that while he enjoyed the sermon and thought it was well done, he was a little perplexed because he wondered if the same sermon might not be preached just as well to a congregation of farm laborers. And Lloyd-Jones said in response, he said, well, I may be a heretic, but until this moment, I thought that the students of Oxford University were just ordinary human clay and miserable sinners like everybody else, and that they had the exact same needs as farm laborers, and so I preached as I had done quite deliberately. And the point, of course, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same for all people from all walks of life. And Paul was called to preach that gospel to the peoples of the nations of the world. He says he was under obligation to God to do so. And for that reason, he served the Lord from the heart. 
He was not serving in order to advance his name. He was not serving in order to, uh, to prosper financially, but he was serving first because God had given him this calling. He had laid this obligation upon him, but also because he loved Christ. He loved Christ. And so he says, I serve God with my spirit. And that is something that ought to be true for you as well. That ought to be true for you as well. Now, of course, no one here is called to be an apostle. And you may not be called to be a pastor or a missionary or an evangelist or anything like that. But your entire life, everything in your life, your work, your relationships, your time, your energy, your resources. Christ calls you to devote all that you have and all that you are. He calls you to devote that to him, to his service, to his worship, the entirety of your life, all parts, every aspect of your life is to be devoted to Jesus Christ. You too, in whatever your particular calling is and whatever work you are called to do, in whatever your life circumstances are, you are called to devote yourself wholly and entirely to Christ and so that you too serve him with your spirits from the heart. Another way to put this is that your Christianity, your Christian faith, it must not be, it cannot be just some sort of religious tack on to your life. Your Christianity is not just something that you do on Sunday by coming to church. It's not something that you just keep up as an appearance in order to make your family happy. But you should be able to say with the Apostle Paul that I serve Christ with my spirit because he has laid upon me too an obligation to be his servant, to honor him in all that I do, to serve him with my spirit. And so Paul shows us here what it means to serve Christ from the heart. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul genuinely loved the people of God. In verse 11, the Apostle says this, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Uh, later in the chapter, or later in the letter, in chapter 15, the Apostle uh, reiterates this. He says in 1523, I have longed for many years to come to you. Now, Paul had not yet met these believers in Rome in person, at least not, uh, at least not most of them. And yet he had a genuine longing to see them. He wanted to be with these brothers and sisters in Christ. He already had great affection and concern for them, even though he had not met them. And there are many places when you read Paul's letters where he expresses the love that he has for his fellow Christians. For example, in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Well, this gives us a beautiful picture of the character of the apostle Paul. Uh, yes, he was a uh, brilliant uh, theologian. 
But he was no ivory tower theologian who condescended from time to time to spend a little time with the common people in the churches. No, he genuinely loved the people of God. He sincerely had affection and concern for God's people. And here in Romans, before he begins instructing uh, the Romans in the doctrines of the gospel, in other words, before he tells them of the love that God has for them in Jesus Christ, he tells them here at the outset that he loves them, that he is concerned for them, that he he has affection for them. He tells them he is constantly praying for them and constantly praying that he may come to see them one day. And so he genuinely loved the people of God. Fourthly, the Apostle Paul was truly humble. He says in verse 11 that he longed to see the believers in Rome so that, he says in verse 11, that he may impart to them some spiritual gift to strengthen them. And so it was Paul's desire then to go to Rome to visit the Christians there so that he could teach them, that he could preach to them, that he could encourage them, exhort them, that he could uh, serve them in that way as one who was called to be a minister of Christ. But, but, lest the Romans uh, think that when Paul said that, that he had some kind of patronizing or condescending attitude towards them as though only he would be the one to bring the blessing to them, that only they would be the ones uh, to be encouraged by him, he quickly adds this very beautiful statement in verse 12. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. And so Paul let them know that his visit would be a blessing to them too, or to to himself too. Not just for them, but for him. And so here's the great apostle Paul. Think about that. Paul is the one who knew the scriptures better than anyone perhaps that has ever lived. He was truly, by God's grace, a genius when it came to understanding the scriptures. That's why sometimes his writings are hard to understand, as as Peter tells us. Uh, Not only that, but as an apostle of Jesus Christ, he devoted himself to serving Christ. He says that he worked harder than all of them, the other uh, apostles. He suffered more than any other apostle for the sake of the gospel. And not only that, but God gave him extraordinary spiritual experiences. He was caught up to the third heaven. He was given some kind of glimpse of, of heaven itself. And also his conversion was by means of Christ personally revealing himself to him from heaven. And so he was personally, he personally saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, this is who Paul is. And yet he can say to these Romans, these ordinary believers in Rome, I want to come see you because you will be a blessing to me. You will minister to me. You will encourage me. My faith also will be strengthened in the fellowship that we have with one another. And so in one sense, Paul, he was ready to go to the Romans as an apostle, of course. He would teach the people. He would lead the people. But even in a more fundamental way, he would go to Rome as a mere Christian uh, to be with, to fellowship with, to be blessed by his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. In our leadership class, uh, we read for today uh, a sermon by uh, Francis Schaeffer called No Little People, No Little Places. And in the sermon, Schaeffer says this. He says, the basic relationship, not, not the only relationship, but the basic relationship 
between Christians is not that of elder and people or pastor and people, but that of brothers and sisters in Christ. And this was the attitude that Paul had. Now, of course, he never stopped being an apostle, but he also never forgot that fundamentally he wasn't equal with his brothers and sisters who also, like him, were sinners saved by grace. And he recognized that they had as much to offer him as he had to offer them and the fellowship that they would have with one another. Now, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if the Apostle Paul came back to life and he decided to, to come to Reno, Nevada uh, to visit us here at Mount Rose Reformed OPC? Um, I can tell you, if he did, it wouldn't be me preaching. Uh, he would be pulpit supply as long as you want. But the incredible thing is that he would be encouraged by us. He would be encouraged by the fellowship that he would have with us. What would we have to offer to him? Well, he says that we would have, we would have much to offer him simply because we too believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we have that communion with one another in the Lord Jesus. And one lesson here is that no matter how simple you may think your faith in Christ is, no matter how little you may think you have to offer other believers, you have been given, as a Christian, you have been given by God gifts of his grace that he will use to bless, to encourage, to strengthen other believers, even those who may know far more than you do, even those who may be far more experienced as Christians than you are. God has given each one of you, as a believer in Christ, gifts to minister to one another. And so the Apostle Paul recognized that, and he was truly humble. Uh, somebody once said of another Christian, he's a good man, but somehow he never reminds me of Jesus. Uh, Paul was a good man. Paul was a righteous man. Paul was a man who was filled with zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. But Paul also reminded people of Jesus. And that's because his entire ministry was a faithful reflection of the character of Christ. If Paul delighted in the salvation of sinners, Jesus far more delighted in seeing his people brought to salvation. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. If Paul served with his spirit, God, in his ministry as an apostle, Jesus infinitely more. He served God, his Father, from the spirit, or with his spirit, from the heart. He says in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If Paul loved his fellow Christians, Jesus loved his people far more. John 13, 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And if Paul was humble, uh, Jesus was far, far, far more humble. For he was the son of God who became man for our salvation. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, even the son of man came not to be served, not to, not to serve, uh, excuse me, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this morning we have here a visible reminder to us of that ransom that Jesus, he came from heaven. 
He took on human flesh. He humbled himself. He lowered himself for our salvation, even to the point of death on a cross, even to the point of suffering that painful, shameful, that cursed death of a cross for us, for our redemption. And Paul shows us something of Jesus here. We haven't gotten into the the teaching, the doctrine, the meat of the letter to the Romans. But even here in this introductory section, Paul teaches us volumes about Jesus because his ministry was a reflection of the character of our Savior. Let's pray.